the misconception is people want to see what you eat per day because they feel like if they follow your plan, it'll work for them. That's not necessarily the case. Your individual metabolism or your intake is going to be different than mine. Hello and welcome to the Plan Prescription Podcast. This podcast is all about helping you live a longer, happier, and healthier life. We will be featuring conversations with great minds to inspire you to reach your ultimate potential. My name is Muzammil Ahmed. I'm a medical student with a master's in psychology, certification in nutrition, and a bachelor's in business. And my name is Cass Warbeck. I'm a medical student with a bachelor of science in health and fitness physiology, and I'm also a plant-fueled Muay Thai fighter. We are both plant-based lifestyle advocates who are passionate about spreading positivity, optimizing health, and promoting sustainability. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. Sorry we have been MIA for a bit, but we have an exciting episode for you today. Before we get into introducing our new guest, I wanted to share with you guys that recently I developed a new website called drplantbased.ca with a ton of information on nutrition and health along with many plant-based recipes. I have articles there written by myself, many doctors, as well as by Cass. There is also a newsletter that you can sign up for on the main homepage as well as a free plant-based transition guide ebook you can grab from the website again it is drplantbased.ca and the transition guide is under the free ebook tab now back to introducing our amazing guest we often get messages about bodybuilding on a plant-based diet and we have already had Derek Simnet and Leo Venus on our podcast but it was time to bring on a professional bodybuilder Tori Washington He's also a National Academy of Sports Medicine certified coach. What makes Tori's story particularly fascinating is that he was raised as a vegetarian and only ate meat for a short period of time while he lived with his grandparents in Jamaica. But at the age of 23, in 1998, he turned to a completely plant-based vegan lifestyle. When he started training in the gym and getting serious about sculpting his body, he refused to listen when others told him he needed meat, to grow bigger and get stronger. Tori competed in his first open bodybuilding show in 2009 and took third place, but this wasn't good enough for him. In his second ever contest, Tori took first place in his category and first place overall, earning his pro card. And from then on, he never looked back. Today, he is passionate about sharing what he has learned over the years with others and is a true inspiration for the vegan community. This is a fun and informative conversation. Make sure to share this with anyone who is skeptical about bodybuilding on a plant-based diet or is interested in getting started. And as always, it means the world to us if you could leave a comment and five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show and it gets the plant-based message out there. Hey, Tori, we're super excited to have you on Plant Prescription Podcast. How, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, we're doing well, thanks. We thought it would be good to start off with where did you grow up? Where I grew up. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. I was born in Alabama, lived in Jamaica, and then I lived most of my, I guess, middle school, high school time in South Florida. And then I went to college back in Alabama. So um, were you in Jamaica for a specific reason? Is that where you're from? Like, how did that happen? No, Jamaica occurred because of my mother wanting to find some time to get herself together financially because, you know, being a single parent, two children, she sent us to her grandparents, her parents, which are our grandparents at the time. And we lived there with them and went to school there for about three years and then we came back to the States. So what was that like growing up in Jamaica and then alternatively transitioning back to the States? 
Well, it was actually quite a bit daunting in the sense that it was it kind of give gave me the task of developing who I am in a sense because I was you know once we went to Jamaica we we were coming from a different culture and different background even though we, our family is Jamaican we didn't really know much about Jamaica other than my brother was born there we I probably been there as a baby and a child but the most I remember is living there for those three years and going there you know we sounded different than most of the children there and most of the people there so of course we were kind of the odd, the odd, the odd child out. We sounded differently. We were picked on by a lot of our peers at school because of what we sounded like and what have you. And so that in and of itself caused us to just kind of be closer as siblings. And we stayed mostly with our grand our grandparents. We didn't go we went around just visiting family a lot during the weekends. But um even after, but after being there for a amount of time, we were, we actually, you know, we were able to adapt to the environment now. And, you know, then I was really exploding with the Patois, the lingo, the Jamaican broken English. I was able to easily adapt to it and we enjoyed it. But of course, when the time came to come back to the U.S., we wanted to come back to missed our mother and we missed what we were used to because we had spent more time in the U.S. prior to that and wanting to have, but you know, of course our, my, our grandparents wanted us to stay in Jamaica because they felt that we would have, be better off with the education there and just the lifestyle. Plus, you know, I know that they probably wanted to have an influence in our lives because they lived in Jamaica and we were living in the U.S. and my mother was single, so they wanted us in a more stable home per se. Don't know how things would have changed if, if that had happened, but you know that's what we got while living there. So, how was the experience coming back to US? Um, like, was the tr- transition pretty comfortable, or like, how was that? No, you know, at that time, uh, and I think even I don't know if I want to say now, but at that time, we had issues coming back. The only issue we had coming back was again now we faced ridicule and judgment based on how we sounded because we're coming from an island and a lot of the kids looked at us as you know you island boys you know you go and go back on your banana boat you know you know why do you sound like that you know we were around a lot of Caucasian kids and people who had never really traveled outside of the country and if they did it was for vacation so they weren't expecting to have people like us actually in school with them. And so that was another transitionary period of mine and my brother's life that we had to go through in order to, you know, develop thick skin and develop our character. So it was, it was tough transition back because then we didn't go straight to Alabama. We came to South Florida. South Florida, of course, was different than Alabama and Alabama, Alabama probably a little bit more closed off in her mindset. So we may have had even a, a different, a larger issue going back to Alabama. We came to South Florida, where there are Jamaicans living here, but of course, you know, in school it's different. You know, how kids are kids. Kids are always going to find something to pick pick, mm-hmm. pick on you about. So. 
Wow. Um, yeah, all those changes probably really shaped you as a person. Um, I know, like, for the most part, if not the entire time, you grew up as vegetarian. Like, how was your diet like growing up? Wait, grew up as a what? A vegetarian. Mm-hmm. So were you always vegetarian? Like, is that kind of what your mom taught you? Or did you guys become vegetarian later on? Well, when we were born, my mother had already changed her lifestyle prior to our from what I know, you know, basically she was, she went transitioned from Catholic to Seventh-day Adventist. And then the Seventh-day Adventist way of life, it's about a health message. And the health message is to eat from the earth, basically, similarly to Garden of Eden. And when she did this, of course, I don't think my father was for it, but being that my mom was adamant about it, she raised us vegetarian. And then, of course, our fa- my father was out of the picture by the time I was five. And so I knew nothing different. You know, it was just what I had already known. It's not until we went to Jamaica that we experienced the, the meat of, you know, the normal everyday regimen that people partake in. But of course, we were living in Jamaica. So, you know, we had the curry goat, curry chicken, you know, the beef and things like that. But we didn't, we never had pork because my mother was very adamant about pork. She said, please don't feed them pork. And so I don't know what pig tastes like. I've never had that. But it's been so long ago, I don't even know what anything tastes like. So during that time, we experienced And then once I returned to the States, we still returned to the States with those tastes remaining. Not until I came into the Rastafarian lifestyle, which was a little bit, maybe like a couple years, four to five years after, that I started to read more about the way of life. And it, it mirrored what I had been going through prior to going to Jamaica. And that then started to abruptly change my nutritional consumption. Can you explain the Rastafarian lifestyle just a little bit better for people that may have never heard this term before? So it's, I don't even know if I can make it simple because mm-hmm. it's, it's complex because I look at any type of lifestyle as unique in the sense that you can't just explain it one way because everybody has a different experience with it. Just as we as individuals have different experiences in our life, you know, I may interact with, let's say, this, this actor and find him fantastic but your interaction may have been one of it was not so good and but we are interacting with the same person so it's the same thing with uh, a belief system so rastafari came from a movement with marcus garvey who started to talk about a king shall come out of ethiopia and this king shall rise against the forces of Mussolini and what have you that were colonizing and going to different countries to destroy their inner workings and then take over. And so being of small stature, he talked about him from the writings within the Bible. And a lot of Jamaicans took this on as, this is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. And his name turned out to be Ras Tafari Makanen. Ras being head king, Tafare is his first name. Makanen was his last name. So they adorned the locks in order to show rebellion in the Mau Mau tribe, which is a tribe out of Africa who fought against 
colonial rule. And so it's like they put these two thought processes together, taking on, you know, the Rastafari moniker and Rastafari became a lifestyle hailed after this king of Ethiopia called Tafari Makanen. Now at the time, you know, most teachings say that most people who are prophets or, you know, leaders don't know it until, you know, they don't know it that they're being hailed as this king, returning king. And, you know, in the, in the Bible talks about the second coming. He was considered the second coming by the Rastafarians. And so in partaking of this, they looked into the Nazarite tradition, which is in Christian ideology of growing the locks, and as well as understanding the Garden of Eden, eating up fruit from the land. And this is in turn where Rasta's got Ita. Rasta's use I in form and place of a lot of things that are connotated as being negative because I was symbolis, sim, symbolic of I and I is one with the Most High. I and I is one with the universe, God, or Jah. You know, Jah is the interpretation of God to Rasta's. And so I was always placed in front of things. So instead of not or natural, we decided they called it ital. And so ital food, natural food, is what we're supposed to eat as nutrition for our bodies and not partaking in Babylonian society, which is the outside world way of food by slaughtering of animals or what have you. But ironically enough, most Rastas lived in the, the bushes of Jamaica and near the beach. So they, most of them were fishermen. So a lot of Rastas still consume fish and they didn't consider fish as, you know, a bad thing or what have you. And this in turn led me to changing my lifestyle because I, I took Aital as I shouldn't partake in anything that came from an animal, fish, egg, cheese or whatever. And I further moved on to just eating strictly plants and fruits. But I didn't have any idea of the terminology that we now know as vegan. Wow. So when That's... you did transition, how was that experience initially? Like when you start taking like dairy and eggs out because you were a vegetarian before, like how did you feel? How did your body feel when you made that transition? Honestly, I never paid attention. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm also, there was a light switch. You know how you flip on the switch and the light comes on? I just turned it on. That was it. Flipped it off. And that was it. Now I just went straight back, straight into just eating plants and fruits. And so, of course, you know, in the beginning stages, you're not as, how can I say, you're not as, you don't scrutinize that much. You're a little bit more lenient because I remember in the beginning phases of me not eating anything. I went to one of my friends' house, and this is for you because no one has ever heard this story, that I um, went to my friend's house, his mom, they're Ecuadorian, and I was there, and she, she made me a plate of food, and I was like, not only chicken. And he was like, you have to just be rude because she didn't speak English, and it would be rude for me not to. At that time, now, if I went to somewhere and they said, it'd be rude to be like, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't partake in it, but I, I still did it. The next day of my stomach was shot because I had not been eating that. And so, you know, 
now in this day and age, if that happens, people are like, oh, you're not vegan anymore and yada, yada, yada. And it's a bunch of ridicule and ostracized and what have you to those individuals. Nowadays, I wouldn't care because I think, you know, we tend to let the public opinion sway who we are as individuals. But um, it, it really was, like I said, with no transition. And my, my body, I think the only thing I, I noticed difference was the recovery. You know, I was able to train, no problem, three times a day if I needed to, you know, and it was like nothing. You know, I, I loved to work out. You know, I started working out when I was 15 and slowly just transitioned into doing it more and more until I really understood bodybuilding to a, a different level. And yeah, it was, it was the one thing about it, I, a lot of people were intrigued because when we would go out to eat, they would wonder what I'm eating and ask me questions. And I just became the topic of conversation every time. And it was a little bit annoying because, you know, back then it wasn't much. I didn't know what, I didn't even know vegan was around since the seventies or the sixties. So I had no idea, you know, so people were just always asking me questions because they're not used to seeing someone just eat plants and fruits and look like I did. So, yeah, the transition really wasn't there other than, like I said, I, en- I enjoyed better recovery. No, that's that's so cool. So you say you enjoyed better recovery. So at this time, I believe it was 1998 when you became plant-based? Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So at this time, were you, were you training bodybuilding specifically or were you still just working out and you're a sprinter, your background sprinting, correct? So I worked, I started really paying attention to weights when I was in Jamaica, not even weights. My, my grandfather was an electrician. So he had this steel or iron clad piece of, I don't know, something he used to solder electrical circuits on. And I just started lifting that for some reason because I, I was, had suppressed anger from being picked on. And I started to do little crunches and pushups and people were like, what are you doing? And then when I moved to the States, so again, picked on again. So suppression of all of this anger, instead of lashing out at people, I put it on the inside. And I took that into later on in life because, you know, you're not given or taught how to express these, these feelings of frustration or, or what have you. And I ended up asking my mom to get me a bench. And she got me a bench and a dumbbell. And I started working out with this one dumbbell doing one, one arm chest presses, one arm curls, you know, switching between arms. Then I started learning more about bodybuilding only because I read, I was really intrigued with cartoons and comic book characters, Wolverine, and Superman. And so I looked at them as heroes as, you know, I wanted to look like them. If I look like them, I could lift anybody up or lift any building and nobody would mess with me. You know, so I looked at it as, because as, as a little kid, you just wanted to be able to, you know, crush anybody that talked about you. And so when I started to really pay attention to bodybuilding, I um, started watching movies and I noticed Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Arnold Schwarzenegger had this physique that was just amazing. And then to find out how he developed that physique, I realized it was bodybuilding. And so I said, oh, okay, so this is, 
what I needed to do. And so I started to bodybuild and really read and pay attention to what these guys did. And I paid attention to form more than anything else. And I started lifting more and more. And then I finally was able to get into a gym. And so once I got into a gym, I started working out a little harder. And people were, would see me and think, are you competing? And I didn't know much about that. I was like, no. They said, I think because my metabolism at the time, was, even my metabolism now is pretty high. My metabolism was so fast, I always stayed shredded or lean. I looked, looked like I could get on stage. And then I started, I didn't start track sprinting until about junior year in high school because prior to that I was kind of a nerd I was kind of a nerd because you know no one accepted me so the people that did accept me are your Marilyn Manson type people and I actually went to high school with them so I was around people who were headbangers into heavy metal music speed deaths thrash metal you know those are the type of individuals that I was around with but they were very intelligent you know, because they studied because they didn't want to come to class. And so when they come to class, they want to come for the test, pass the test, ace it, and not be back in class for the next two weeks. But um, those are the people I hung out with. And it's not until my junior year in high school where I started to roll locks and hang out with a different crowd, I started track and field. And I really excelled at it because I had raw power and speed. I had, didn't have technique. Of course, in high school, they didn't teach you technique but I was good at it. So I, and I also played recreational football, which is soccer in Jamaica. And, but then while here in the U S as I'm playing running track and field coaches on football team for American football, noticed my speed and size and asked me to play football. But that's where I slipped up because I ended up injuring myself, which kind of messed up my track and field. I, I injured my knee and you need your knee to run. And so it's not until, I think once it healed, I don't think I ever did it again. I remember going to States. I was very, like I said, I was very good. And then in college, I attempted to pick up track and field while I was doing my studies for engineering, but they said it was just to be too much because engineering encompasses a lot of time. And they said, you wouldn't have time to do track as well. Well, that's what my college advisor told me. So I took their advice and never went back to track and field. Although I felt I could have been on the Olympic stage because I was that good, but it just never materialized. And so that's unfortunate. I'm pretty sure you would have. Just quick (laughs) follow-up questions, just to put things into perspective. So you went plant-based in 1998. How old were you? Was I in high school before or after? I was, it was after high school. It was after, after high school, school. Like, I was in college, coming back home. You know, you go back to you go to school, come home for the for the, for the breaks, then you go back and what have you. And I, you know, college was where people were. I would have a lot of questions because we would go out to eat, and like, what is Tori gonna get? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'll figure it out. You know, I just talk to the to the waiter or the waitress and ask them, you know, if they can do this, remove that, and what have you. And they just people just thought it was so intriguing because how do you look like that? You work out, look like that, and you don't eat any meat. Like, so you know? <laughs> at the time you did it, there weren't that many vegan bodybuilders, at least like, you know, they, you know, like we, you didn't have as much access to social media. So you could see these other potential vegan oh, bodybuilders. Nobody. 
Yeah. So how did you feel? Like, were you confident going into this or were you just like, okay, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to eat plants and see if I can still bodybuild. I honestly didn't even think that way. I just thought I made the shift from that. I didn't want to be a hypocrite and calling myself a Rasta, but I'm not really Ita. And most Rastas still eat chicken or fish. I said, that's not going to be me. You know, integrity was more important than a, a label. And then when the bodybuilding, I just worked out, just kept working out, ate food. And then um, I didn't really think anything about, I'm going to be the new vegan bodybuilder. <laughs> I didn't look at it like that. I looked at yeah. it as I wanted to change my physique and build muscle on it. And, and I just did that. I think that's perhaps part of like the engineer in you as well. Like you just, you sculpt your body, like you build anything else up. And I think that's potentially why like you're so good at it like it's like your mindset going into it so whether you're building out of plants or building out of meat like it doesn't make a difference um yeah so can you tell us what your experience was like in your first bodybuilding show so 2008 you know during this time i was you know like i said just training and not competing and then around 2008 one of my colleagues from high school he uh, called me. We were talking. He said, hey, man, you need to go see our friend. He's competing in Atlanta. And I was living in Alabama. So as then I was working as an engineer. And I said, all right. I didn't even know he was doing that. He had been doing it for some time, competing and doing it and just doing it and doing it. And I didn't know this whole time because I had attended bodybuilding shows all the time, especially while in Florida. It was really big in South Florida. And getting to meet all of these these um, bodybuilders who were all over the scene and the magazines and what have you, seeing them in the gyms, but I didn't compete. I I didn't compete. I had actually had the idea to compete last year in high in middle school, but I was like, no, that's too young. But my friend did. He ended up competing. I don't even know where he is at this moment. To be honest with you, I'm still wanting to find out where is Richard Rico. Anyways, by the time I'm working, 2008, I go see my friend. He gets on stage, and he ends up winning this specific show and gets his pro card. And I was like, what? And then when I saw him off the stage, that inspired me because he looked like the comic book character Superman and Wolverine that I was drawing all the time. His abs were chiseled. He was just defined everywhere. And I, and I thought I looked good at the time, but not like that. And so I, was in, I really said, you know what? I don't want to leave and end my life by saying I should have or I wish I did. And I said, I don't want to be on my bed. I remember reading something that you don't want to end your life by saying with a lot of shoulds. I said, you know what? I'm just going to do a show. At least I can do a show and say I did one. So I asked him. I said, hey, man, can you help me compete? He's like, but you're vegan. I was like, and, you know, I didn't, okay. You know, I was like, look at me. I don't, it seemed like it doesn't matter. So he's like, all right. So we started working on it. He's like, man, how are you staying so lean eating the way you do? I was like, I don't know. So. We did our first show April of 2009. I remember he was teaching me posing, a lot of posing, bodybuilding posing. And 
I realized that posing in, a, in and of itself is probably the hardest part of training because training is fun. You know, you're lifting weight, you're pushing weight, you feel the knee, the, the muscle work. But posing, you're holding that muscle for 30 seconds or to a minute. All of them, not just one, all of them at the same time while smiling and looking good in front of a judge and next to people who are probably have been doing it longer or if not the same amount of time or less. So we get to my first show and it was like 10 guys, nine to 10 guys. And, you know, I just put in my bio, vegan, blah, 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 you know, but I didn't think anything of it and ended up placing third. Wow. And that is, that actually excited me because I didn't think I would place that high. And I was this close from second. And the reason I only guess I got third was the, the judge told me, you know, in the lineup, we're looking at you guys and we're seeing how well your conditioning is, how well you can hold your poses. And at one point, I kind of let my legs go because I was so tired. And I remember not being able to hear, you know, you, you go deaf. People are like, keep your head up. And you're like, what? I can't breathe. You know, you're just... You're going through all these different emotions. It's your first time. And when he said that to me, I said, oh, that won't happen again. And I said, I have to do it again. I have to do another show. And so I did my second show two, three months later. And of course, he was a judge again. And I made sure my legs were going to be, I was going to hold my, he called them your wheels. You know, we call our legs wheels because it's what you move on. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to make sure my wheels are always contracted in that position and I was and then I ended up winning my class and then after you win your class and that bigger this show was bigger you then compete against the top guy of every other of sorry about that of every other class and then you win your pro card I didn't know that at the time and since I won my class I had to go against the other guys from the other divisions and I ended up winning that too and got my first pro car in my second show. And that said to me, okay, I'm good at this. And he was, my friend that helped me, it took him like eight, 10 shows to do it. But for me, it took me my second show and I was vegan. So then that just snowballed into people were like, this guy's vegan, this guy's vegan, how in the world? <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm winning, winning shows. I'm at the top, I'm always in the top four. And people are like, this doesn't make no sense, you know. They never said to me, oh, you could be the winner. All you need is a little more size. Maybe you should think about eating meat. I'm like, what? That, that's not, I'm, why would I eat meat just to be a winner if, you know, all you're saying is I just need more size. And so it's not until I started to figure it out later on in life how to increase size by, you know, just manipulation of your nutrition, training, recovery, rest, things like that, that I, if I, I look at now and then, I, I dwarf that look 20,000 times. I don't even know how, I look at that first show like, how did I even place third? You know, but cause the way I look now, I would make that look like dog meat, you know what <laughs> I mean? So, so yeah. That, that's a really cool story. Speaking more training, so what does your training look like in like, you know, How's your training splits? How many rest days do you take? Two rest days. Train about five to six days a week, depending. I work out three days in a week, three days consecutively. And then I take a break. Then I go back on uh, two, three days, and then I take another break. And my training 
when you're natural, you need to train certain body parts more than once a week because it needs the stimulation. Think about it. We don't do a lot. You know, we sit around and then we go work out for an hour and expect that to be enough. You know, no. You know, we, we have the capability to, you know, if you think about prior to technology, being able to sit in front of a computer and phone and TV, we were moving. We are out. Some people were out on a farm all day, you know, for eight hours. And so that's why I can train body parts two times, three times a week, especially ones who are lagging. But, of course, there's rest and recovery, and we are putting it under much more stress. So my, my training would be, let's say, you know, sometimes an antagonistic muscle, which is the opposite, opposing muscle to another one. So I may be doing back and back and triceps because you're not doing using much triceps when you're doing back. But I typically use I do more synergistic muscle groups. So I may be training back, shoulders, and biceps together, or chest tries, and then throw in something else that I'm working on as well. But um, it's almost kind of a push pull, but it's not necessarily a push pull. It just switches up a lot. Okay, so that's really interesting. So how, what do your rep ranges and your sets look like? Do you keep it the same all the time or do you mix it up and periodize your training? So my rep ranges go from three to 30. And sometimes a set will be 120 reps. So, you know, there's volume, you know, scientific has been shown that lightweight, high volume can build just as much muscle as heavyweight, low volume. But it's also good about, it's, you know, you have, different muscle groups, type two muscle fibers, type one muscle fibers, and they each require a different type of volume and frequency. So being that I work in the entire spectrum of rep ranges and sets, you know, sometimes three sets, six sets, six sets of 30 reps, you know, it's 180 reps on a specific muscle group, you know, so it it changes up. And and those are the things that are important to having a well-rounded physique because I'm very big on symmetry and proportion. And I think that's what helped me do well against bigger guys is that, yeah, they were bigger than me, but I had a more complete package. So, so if you're training in all these different rep ranges, will that be within the same week or within the same workout? Same workout. Wow. Crazy. So, and then what extent do like compound movements play? Like do you squat and bench and deadlifts? Do you incorporate those? It's interesting in the past. I didn't like them because I felt that they were damaging to the spine and not good for your hips and just stunting growth. So I didn't do them. I didn't do deadlifts. I didn't even, I didn't even like, I didn't know what they were. I didn't do them. I did overhead shoulder press, but then once I kind of started studying some science about how they can be damaging to the shoulders, causing impingements and what have you, I stopped. But it also showed when I stopped, I didn't realize it once I added them back in, how, critical or integral they are to developing larger shoulders. You know, I just had to work on the movement and making sure that I stretch and take care of myself so that therefore I don't have those type of problems or injuries later on. And once I started deadlifting, it's like, I loved it. I was like, what, why was I not doing this? But deadlifting is, has such a, it's such a massive, like energy or metabolic, drain on the system but it causes the body to go into growth and to stimulate you know the the body to build muscle 
because you're using you're, you're, you're really attacking the nervous system and then, and then causing it to say, oh shoot, we gotta, we gotta get stronger. Squatting, which helps to build stabilizers, strengthen the back, strengthen the quads. You know, of course it's, it's kind of, it can be hard on the back. You know? So I don't suggest it for everybody, but you know, of course you have front squats, you have pelvic squats, you have different types of squats you can incorporate in order to build your physique. So yeah, so compound movement, I love pull-ups, chest, bench press, things like that, all those things. Military presses are very important when you want to build a physique. It's, it's actually the foundation of my primer guide on my website where it's basically based off a of bodybuilding foundation. I think a lot of times we look for fancy new workouts because people get bored, but they don't recognize that some of the basic exercises are what builds quality muscle. Absolutely. How does cardio fit into your routine? It doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but it, I, I actually was a person that had never used cardio. I, from the beginning of my career, cardio was really, I, once I started using it, because that's just how the guy who helped me out was telling me to do, because that's what he knew. He figured that everybody had to do cardio from the beginning, so much cardio. But it really caused me to look watery. Once I recognize that cardio is a necessity, is a tool, not a necessity, cardio is barely there. Because when you're building a physique, cardio, if you uh, cause your body to adapt to cardio, you're going to look like a marathon runner. And we all know that marathon runners don't look like bodybuilders on stage. So when you're doing that, you're causing your, your body to go to more of a catabolic state. And you want to be in a more anabolic state when you're in growth. Your muscle growth. So, cardio to me is sort of added in later on, closer to my show. In the beginning phases, I really don't do much cardio. Just kind of keep building, and I can still drop weight based on my nutritional intake. Because you don't want to use, you want cardio to be that last tool where you're like, okay, I need to fine, fine tune this a little bit more and tighten up just a bit, you know. But it's not something I add into any clients right away. We add it in slowly. No, uh, that's super interesting because I feel like a lot of people, they're constantly doing cardio because they're constantly trying to just trying to stay lean or Correct. It's, yeah, it, I think there's a huge misconception and a lot of people, they're doing so much cardio already when they do transition or into a competition or into more preparation, all of a sudden they have to do like, it's insane how much cardio people will spend doing because they were doing it all along. Does that make sense? What am I? Yeah. Yeah. No, so super interesting. So is that the biggest change? Like when you go from maintenance to prepping for a show, it's you add in a little bit of cardio when you get closer to the end. And then obviously you're manipulating your food intake a little bit. Does yeah, your training basically change? it. Yeah. Increasing my water intake, making sure my rest is taking as a priority, meaning eight hours or more, because rest is what helps increase the amount of fat loss and increases the amount of muscle maintained. You know, when you, your sleep is not sufficient, you will not lose as much body fat and you will lose muscle mass. And so that's important. Increasing my water intake, therefore my body doesn't retain water. Slowly decreasing my caloric intake and then towards the point when your body starts to adapt to all that stimuli you add in cardio and cardio changes then your intake changes and then you have to sometimes do them all together so that way you can 
get a change that you're looking for because on stage they're not asking you what your body fat is they're just basically how you look they're not mm-hmm. asking how much you weigh they do that just to put you in your classes but it's all about how you look on stage not these weights your weight your height or your your body fat level. yeah that's that's really cool do you have any advice for anyone who wants to compete but like hasn't ever tried yet and it's the first time the advice I'll have someone that wants to compete is to understand why you want to compete. Because if you don't understand your why, it's going to be hard to push through. Because it's not, it's not for the, the weak-minded. Because there's, there's, there are days you're going to go to sleep and you'll be so hungry. Because you go from eating a surplus of calories to now you're eating a lot less than your maintenance calories. And you're... Your, your body's remembering that time. Your mind is remembering that. And it sends a signal to your stomach like, yo, we need food. And then you you're, have to look at it like, I can't. I'm done. Done for the day. So the next thing you do is just the best thing you can do is just go to sleep. And you go to sleep. And I usually tell my son, I can't wait to go to bed. And he'd be like, why? He already knows because I can get up and eat. Because that's what you look forward to. You look forward to the next day where you can eat. Like that next meal. Because your your body's burning through that food so fast, and so that's that has to be strong minded. Because you, I can go out with other people, go eat with other people, and not eat because I'm I'm okay with it. I know what my goals are. Some people can't do that, you know, and that takes a lot of work. And I like to go out and be around people. So if I'm around people and they're doing all this stuff, it's not going to bother me because. I'm not a smoker. I can go around people that are smoking weed all day and not say, hey, give me some. You know, I can, oh yeah, you, sure, pass it to the next person. But I've been disciplinary, disciplined in that way that I can do that in any situation. And so it's, it's not, not that hard for me. And plus, getting ready for competition is fun for me. So it's yeah. not, you have to actually make it fun. And so I would say, be ready and willing to have a strong mind, understand why you're doing it and take it to the end, follow it through all the way, you know, just don't half-ass it, do it. Don't half-ass it, full-ass it, go all the way in, jump in. No, that's really good advice. Just for anything, like you should always know why you're doing it. So I'm glad you brought that up. So I want to switch gears a bit from training to nutrition. So what does a typical day of eating look like for you? This is what everyone really wants to know. <laughs> and you know, and that's interesting because I, I don't have typical. I get this question so much. I almost feel like it would be unauthentic for me to just create something to show people this is what I typically eat when I don't typically do that. My, my eating is like this. However, what's in my fridge? I'm going to eat it. I'm thinking like, hmm, okay, I have this in there. I'll make that. And so, but I do have a base of foods that I eat. I eat a lot of tofu. I eat a lot of tempeh. I eat a lot of seitan. I eat a lot of pea protein crumbles. I do shakes one in a, once in a while. I do bonitos chips, tostitos chips, salsa. I, and this is in competition time. I'm doing... You know, I may have a donut here and there or a cookie here and there or a cupcake here and there. I do rice, brown rice, white rice, black rice, pasta, broccoli, bok choy, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, um, oatmeal.
raisins, watermelon, oranges, apples, bananas. This is what I eat all the way through to a show. Only thing that changes is the the, the portions go from here to like a different. Yeah. But you know, and I eat cereal. So I may start out a day with like this morning. What did I have? I had a shake. I had a shake, put a banana in it because I just wanted to get my protein at a higher level first before I add in anything else. You know, so I start out my day sometimes when, especially when my calories start to change, is that I start out with a higher protein intake so that therefore towards the end of the day, I can probably add in some chips or something like that if I want to just, because I like to eat to keep my sanity. What I mean by that is I'm not just going to eat this foods all the time. And that's what happens in a lot of bodybuilding is that these guys will eat chicken and asparagus all day, every day for six meals a day. And they're bored and they're tired of it. People are blending up chicken in blenders. I've heard it, had it, I've seen it done and have heard about it. And they're drinking it because they don't feel like chewing it anymore. And so I like to switch it up. You know, I, I like, I'll do tofu throughout my day because it's easy, fast, quick. I can just skillet it up, saute, put a lot of hot, high-end pepper on it, ghost pepper on it, and what have you. Or I'll do a pea protein crumble throughout the day in the in part of my day, which is a dehydrated pea protein crumbles, which has 40 grams of protein per serving. So that's pretty high. So I can dehydrate that, season it how I want it, eat that. And I may eat that with some Ezekiel bread or some organic bread or something like that before Japanese sweet potato, with some broccoli, some Brussels sprouts with um, a salad on the side. And, you know, so I, I, I think the misconception is people want to see what you eat per day because they feel like if they follow your plan, it'll work for them. That's not necessarily the case. Your individual metabolism or your intake is going to be different than mine. You know, let's say I can thrive on 700 grams of carbohydrates today. You can only do 150. That's not going to be if you do what I do, you might gain too much weight. Next thing you know, like, yo, Tori's plan didn't work for me. Well, that's why I'm called Tori. You are called Muzamin. You are called Jennifer. You're Tom. You know, yours is going to be different. Your body has a unique design of its own. Although we're similar in what our bodies can do, our metabolisms are going to be different. And so that's one of the reasons, you know, I haven't, and I, and I don't do pre-workouts. I don't do even pre-workout meal. It's not a, I'm not a fanatic about that where I have to have this pre-workout meal before I go work out. My pre-workout meal starts here. I'm ready here. I may eat prior to it, but I'm just eating. I'm not eating and say, okay, I need this for energy. I'm eating to fuel my body. Just put in some carbohydrates some fats some proteins. And then I'm going to go work out using my mind as a, as a readiness tool to get myself prepared for this workout like today's legs so i'm gonna go in there and know i gotta do legs squats leg press deadlifts hip thrust things like that and i don't do necessarily have specified post-workout meal either it's just more of i make sure i'm eating after i'm done working out you know of course if you want to get down to that one percent advantage of scientific theory after workout you can do a high digesting or fast digesting carbohydrate with your protein, which allows for your nutrients to be uptake faster because your body's really looking for glycogen at that time. 
And so these are some things you can do for people that are really technical when it comes to that aspect of it. But I've, I've learned more about my physique where as long as I'm eating and training intensely and getting the rest or drinking my water and focusing on mental quietness and stillness and being present in what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with, learning how to heal my, my mental state, my body, my physical state, and my emotional and spiritual state, that can create health. And that is, I think, more integral than what I'm eating in a day. Because it's sometimes we look for outside things to heal us when it's really within. That's, I love that approach. Yeah, that's so refreshing to hear because so many people overcomplicate everything, I think. And there'll be people that are just starting out and they think they have to have these thousands of different supplements at different times a day and they have to have their meals planned completely. Like, it's refreshing to hear from your perspective, like what works for your body isn't going to work for everyone's body. And there's not one specific plan you have to follow to get good results. Right. Yes. Absolutely. So and I get that a lot when people mm-hmm. ask me, can you just tell me what to eat? Why? <laughs> it's like, you just, but so we're so used to people just giving us everything. Like, oh, yeah. just, just feed me. No, <laughs> you, you, you want to create this lifestyle and be able to have it sustainable for the rest of your time. Don't, if I create something for you, that's not sustainable. You'll get tired of that. After a couple of years of doing the same thing over and over, next thing you know, you'll be telling me like, man, he created this this thing that I've been doing and I'm tired of it. No, I want you to take leadership in your own situation. I can help you with suggesting an overall caloric intake, but then it's up to you to then, all right, how can I work this into my lifestyle? Because don't center your lifestyle around it, work it into your lifestyle. Therefore, it's sustainable. Do you use it? Because this is something that a lot of people ask and they probably want to know as they're listening to you. Do you use a specific macro breakdown? A macro what? Macro breakdown. Yes, I do. When I, especially when I get ready for competition. And I, I wasn't a proponent of that. Well, you know, macros are fairly new within the last six years. Six, ten years, it's been gaining some, some speed in the community. And then in the beginning, people were like, no, man, you got to eat just these type of foods. And I was like, no, these type of foods, don't, they are magic. But it's because people were eating them and seeing changes in their body. What they didn't realize is that all they were doing was really limiting their caloric intake, which is basically what it is. Calories in versus calories out will cause you to lose weight. And so I, in the beginning of my competition, I was all about intuitive eating. I just ate what I wanted, which is still, still the same. But in order to get the look I wanted, I just kind of started eating less. And the next thing, I, as I got closer to the show, I ate specific. You know, like two weeks in, I would eat just these specific meals because that's what I had been used to doing. Now, with macros, it actually gives me a lot more fun. You know, I can play around with, oh, I can eat some ice cream today. See how I can put it in there. And once I can fit it in there, I'm like, yes. <laughs> Even if I can only have one more meal for the day, I did have some ice cream, you know, and I still got on stage looking like that. And people don't think that's possible. So, yes, I do now. And when I work with clients, I give them macros. And that's where I think a lot of times if people aren't used to them, they get kind of they overcomplicated, as you said earlier, with certain things. They overcomplicate it. 
make it seem like it's so hard when it's actually not quite that hard. As a person who wants to have a look on stage or a look in general, data is what is important because then you can kind of see what worked for you and then you can work your lifestyle, work that into your lifestyle and not necessarily have to track anymore. Absolutely. Um, so a lot of people probably want to know this as well. How many grams of protein do you eat per day? Like do you calculate it based on your weight or how do you determine that? Well, when I'm working with clients, I calculate it based on their lean body mass. Lean body mass, age, height, weight, and what have you. These things all help to create that. And for me, it depends. Like in the beginning, it was always, it was very low. And I didn't really need that much. But I noticed a difference when I did increase it because of the type of training I'm doing. As, and as you age, your muscle protein synthesis, which is the breakdown of protein and turns into muscle, is, you know, lessened because you're, as you're aging, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And so mine is increased now. But I say about somewhere in the realms of 150 to 220 grams of protein. And, and what's funny how much do you weigh? Is, oh, I weigh right and now 172. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, you mentioned kind of before that you don't take pre-workout. Do you take any specific supplements? You do take use protein powder, but is there anything like creatine, anything like that? No, no, no. I, I was very much against all of that in the past, even protein powder. Like I didn't do anything. Not until about two, three years ago where I said, you know what? I can't knock it. Everything has its place. And it's also good for people that need extra protein or extra just a meal when they can't get anything in and it's you know plus it's a little bit healthier than just going to mcdonald's or whatever and grabbing mm-hmm. something and so i just do protein powders here and there and bcas and bcas is something i do you know you just add to your water and drink that as you're training because it so bcas are branch chain amino acids which are building blocks of protein so you're just taking them at that smaller level and helping to continuously keep your muscle in an anabolic state. Okay. So I just have a follow-up question to the protein one. Um, you were mentioning how it's changed for you because, you know, as you grow and you have, uh, you have very specific goals for, but for someone who's just like into being fit and looking lean and have a bit of muscle, would you still recommend as much protein for them? Or would you recommend lower for them? It all depends. I, I would have to see their lifestyle. There's a lot of different variables that come into play when you're going to determine a protein amount for certain people. You can't just say, okay, yeah, you should only eat this much. I have to kind of see what your lifestyle is, what your workout schedule is, what your daily day, day-to-day activities are, your height, your weight, and your goals. You know, so there's so many more variables that come into play when determining that for individuals. That makes sense. Absolutely. Oh, awesome. Um, thank you so much for so much of your time. We have three questions that we ask all our guests at the end of the show. The first question is, what is your favorite plant-based meal? Very what? What is your favorite plant-based meal? A plant-based meal. Uh, favorite. Uh, I love food, so I don't favorite. Some sweet, definitely. Maybe French toast. Oh, I haven't had French toast forever. That sounds um, delicious. <laughs> okay, second question. What is one kitchen item you wouldn't be able to live without? 
What is one kitchen item I wouldn't be able to live without? Hmm. Maybe a skillet. So then I wouldn't be able to saute my tofu. <laughs> That's fair. Now, what is one piece of advice or takeaway you would like to leave um, people listening to the, to the show? To um, respect other people's perspectives. What I mean by that is your perspective is what you have been brought up with as raised in your environment and someone else's perspective is theirs. So if we respect one another's perspective, we don't come into this place of ego where mine is better than yours. It's more about accepting one another and then we can have a, a dialogue in regards to why I'm this way and why you are that way. Because that along with not taking things personal, because that I like the example of if you're driving down the highway and someone cuts you off, they didn't actually say, oh shoot, I'm gonna go cut off Tory Washington. They didn't know you were in the car. They had no idea who was in that vehicle. They were heading to some direction. They were just, or they were just speeding, but they're not personally attacking you. What we tend to do is we take it personally. We want to curse them out and we get mad at them, but then they're like, what? I, you know, I, my bad. I was just going my way. And, you know, yeah, the, the wrong about that is not the wrong. The thing is that we are selfish. You know, we care only about ourselves and not others. So if we can understand different people's perspectives and not take things personal, we can live in a much better world. I love that. Thank you. If our listeners would like to reach out and connect with you, where can they find you? ToriWashington.com, Tori.Washington on Instagram, official Tori Washington on Twitter, Tori Washington official on YouTube, pretty much all the platforms except for Pinterest on Big Money. But uh, awesome. <laughs> Twitter, TikTok, all that. Hey, we'll definitely put all that in the show notes so people can find you. Well, thank you so much, Tori, for being on the show. Um, no, thank I you. Appreciate, for it. appreciate it. You guys have a great weekend and a good day. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Plant Prescription Podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it, and hopefully this inspires you to take steps towards making changes so you live a longer, happier, and healthier life. You can also follow us on Instagram where we share nutrition, health, and fitness content along with recipes. Our Instagram handles can be found in the description of this episode. Please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss on any upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this, we would love it if you left us a positive review and a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please also make sure to share this with any family or friends who may benefit. Thank you so much for listening. Also, be sure to eat plenty of plants and see you next week.